morning, would you turn to 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy, we're going to close out our study in chapter 5. Thank you, Pastor Willie. It's interesting uh, how God works. I was in my devotional today reading about obedience, and that's the first step to blessing and knowledge, and I appreciate him obeying, sharing that message about days of separation because, indeed, uh, we're living in such days. We're going to begin reading in just a moment, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. But I was thinking this past week that our nation and our world is really in what I would call a twofold crisis. And it's not something that has happened just in the past week or the past few days, but it is something I believe that is really built up over a period of time in this twofold crisis. First, there is a lack of respect for authority today. Um, people have cast off authority. They've become a law unto themselves. As we look on the television, the Internet, we see individuals destroying buildings, attacking structures, casting off restraint, and basically thinking, I want nothing to do with any type of of authority, but along with that is the second part of that crisis that might we might say rightly comes hand in hand, and it's this: there's a lack, and I speak generally here, of real strong leadership. There's a lack of godly leadership, and it's not just one political party. It's not just one person. If we were to be honest with ourselves and evaluate this nation in this world, we're lacking a number of strong leaders. We need them. As I begin to think about this, it's almost like a cycle. Uh, the leadership is lacking. There's no respect for leadership. One thing leads into another, and it leads to a state of chaos, but God doesn't want it to be that way. This morning, we're going to look at the subject of leadership in the church. I love this book of 1 Timothy as we've studied. It's really a guidebook. E even though we're going to finish it here in a couple of weeks, I think it is important to keep this book in the memory bank, especially for our deacons, for our leaders in the church, because it is really our guidebook for structure in the church. And today, Paul is speaking to Timothy instructing Timothy that he might lead the church at Ephesus, and he speaks about what is expected of godly leaders. How is the church to respond to its leaders? What recourse does the church have when its leadership falls into disreputable acts? In 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25, Paul doesn't leave us alone. In fact, it's so important that we understand what God is teaching about leadership in the local church. I want to read beginning in verse 17, chapter 5. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Do not accept an accusation against an elder 
unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Do not be quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this very important subject today, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us from the very verses that we just read. Father, as we look at the position of senior pastor, whether we call it a bishop or overseer or elder or senior pastor, the individual responsible, Lord, for proclaiming your word and leading your church. Lord, help us to understand your word, what you prescribe in regard to this position, that we would glorify you in it, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, here in regard to the church, Paul addresses both issues that uh, we just discussed. He says in this text that the position, the spiritual leadership position of pastor is to be respected in the church. But he also speaks to the position of pastor and the great responsibility that that bears. And so as we look at it, the position of senior pastor is to be respected in the church, but the candidate or the individual who holds that position is also to realize this, the position is greater than the person. The position is greater than the person. You'll probably hear that a number of times today. Repetition's important, but today we're going to look at six things that Paul teaches in regard to the position of elder or senior pastor in the local church. And the first is this, very simply, it is a position that is to be honored. We see that in verses 17 and 18. He says the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The position of the pastorate is to be an honored position. It is a position of spiritual leadership. Maybe you remember in chapter 3, the term that was used for such a leader was that of overseer. We've also looked at the term elder, not in term of being older, but a position of spiritual leadership, specifically that of teaching elder, what we might call in Baptist circles, the senior pastor. It is to be a position that is honored. But he also says for those who labor hard, who work hard in the labor of the ministry, there's to be double honor. Now, a lot of people misinterpret and misrepresent verse 17 because they like to jump to verse 18 that speaks of compensating the pastor. Now, the pastor is to be compensated, but verse 17 didn't say and pay him twice as much as everybody else in the church. I, I wouldn't like to say that. I'm not saying that because God's word does not say that. It's not speaking in verse 17 
about compensation, it's speaking about honoring the position. There's a disturbing trend in our nation today as you look at television in general. How are pastors portrayed, usually as buffoons, closed-minded, and ignorant? But that's not the way God says the position is to be recognized. It's to be an honored position, and those who labor hard in it are to be especially honored. That idea of double honor goes back to the uh, Jewish system within the family where the oldest child was given the double honor. And so we might uh, translate that as we look in the context here, that it is to be a position that is esteemly honored. But Paul follows in verse 18 of a practical way that the church responds to the pastor. He says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. It's very interesting here. Uh, these two terms really are speaking of the same thing. One is using the Old Testament. The other, the words of Jesus in the New Testament. I think it's interesting at the beginning of verse 18, we already see Jesus' words as recorded by the Gospels being credited as being Scripture. And what it's saying, basically, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. In other words, don't work the ox and work the ox without feeding the ox that it might be able to continue to work. Jesus, when he sent out the 72 in the second part of verse 18, when speaking of how they weren't to take much with them but would depend on those to take care of him, the worker is worthy of his wages speaks to the fact of those receiving the ministry from those in the pastorate are to, in turn, be a blessing to the one called into that service. And so we see first the position of pastor is to be an honored position, not just from the church, but the, the servant himself, the pastor, is to realize this is a serious position. But secondly, it is a position that is to be protected by due process. Think of the valuable things in your home. You want to protect them, don't you? In other words, if something's of little value, you come to my house and break it, I'm going to be okay. But if you break the glove box that my great Aunt Alice made, that's one of my favorite possessions, we might have a problem there. And so what do we do? We protect things that are important. Not that the person's important, but the position of pastor is important. And so it needs to be protected by due process. Look at the due process here. Verse 19, don't accept an accusation against an elder, in our context, a senior pastor, unless it is supported by two or by three witnesses. Now, again, we cannot separate the person from the position. If I could just pour my heart out, that's what we need to understand today. Because when the person is attacked, the position is attacked. And when the position is attacked, then the church as a whole is affected by it. So in verse 19, he's speaking of the holder of an office, the pastor who has faced an accusation. But also he's speaking about the position 
that that individual holds, which as we saw is to be an honored position, but then also he's speaking in regard to the church. Why is he addressing the church? Because this affects the church. And so Paul establishes a good and godly biblical process for dealing with an accusation against a senior pastor. And he says it must be supported by two or three witnesses. Now that also comes from the Old Testament. It's not that the position of pastor is to receive some special privilege or protection. It's basically due process. In fact, in the Old Testament, something could only uh, be considered to be true on the authority of two or three witnesses. Jesus himself responded that he and the Father and the Scripture all agreed and concurred uh, on his witness. And so what we see here is the standard both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that a truth would be substantiated by two or three witnesses. So if an elder or senior pastor is accused of wrongdoing, it's not good for the church that it's just one person, a he said, she said scenario. Why is that? Because again, if it were to be a false charge and not substantiated in just a rumor that comes from one person, it will not only damage the person who holds the office, but it will also damage the office itself, and it will also damage the church. A false accusation can have major negative consequences. But I want you to see verse 20 and 21. It is a position that is to be upheld by the discipline of those who violate the trust of the position. Basically, if there's an accusation that's made and it's corroborated, the church has looked into it and found out that it is real, then the church must act in disciplining the candidate not only for the sake of the candidate, but for the sake of the position. So again, what about the accusation? Properly carried out, it's gone through the proper channels, the pastor has conducted himself in a way that is contrary to the gospel. The scripture says the church as a whole is to practice discipline. Not I saying that, verse 20, publicly rebuke those who sin. The church leadership, listen, is not to cover up the offense. It's not to be handled by just a small group alone hoping that this thing will pass. This handling will always come out in the public, and when that happens, not only has the pastor been affected, the position has been affected, and the church itself has lost credibility, damaging the gospel witness in the community. It's to be brought to the entire body. Now, in the, if you want to call it the two to three 
uh, process with two to three witnesses or uh, gaining uh, the uh, proof or the evidence of what has happened. That may happen among a small group that fact finds until it can find out the accuracy, but it is never to be kept away from the church at a whole, as a whole. It's to be brought to the whole body. Leaders may lead out in the investigation, but once the facts come out, the church as a whole is to be involved. Now, the sin here could be in regard to wrong doctrine. It could involve a personal indiscretion. But why is it handled so harshly? Again, we're talking about the position of a senior pastor if the position is discredited and, and devalued, then the ministry is devalued and the church's testimony is affected. Notice what he says, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. In other words, that the rest will look at it and say, this is a serious matter. Now, if the church tries to cover it up and tries to shade it down or whatever, the, then then people don't receive the true message of the consequences of this. In fact, it tells us in verse 21 that we're not to show favoritism. In other words, the church is not to be partial in these matters. And he tells Timothy here that this charge is given before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice. In other words, not only is the whole church observing how it's being handled, not only is the community, as word gets out, hearing how it's been handled, but it's understood here that the heavenly host is observing. And the church members are not to say, well, he's been my pastor for a number of years. Well, I know he led my mom to the Lord when she was on her deathbed and, and I'm indebted to him. Or his gifts were the reason this church has become as it is and so we'll just disregard it. No. The position is greater than the person. The position is greater than the person. We're not to show partiality. What should happen as the result of an offense? The senior pastor has done something that is devastating to the witness. I don't know all the answers to that. I, I do realize that it depends upon the degree of the offense, not by how much people knew, but the Holy Spirit will help the church to understand this is an offense that deserves this stance this is an offense that deserves this stance by the church but in serious matters should a pastor so charged and found in the wrong continue on i don't know i would have to say the impact would be damaged it would be likely difficult to continue to have the credibility but the point is this it's a serious thing we're to consider the fact that the pastor, it's a serious thing. But at the same time, while we uphold the position, and it may be a, a point where an individual might even be removed or disciplined for a period of time, it's not Christ-like to totally act 
unmerciful toward the person. The person is still a person. It doesn't mean that individual could never serve God again. David himself was used of God after a terrible sin. And so there's that balance of upholding the position, which is important for the church, but also of looking at the individual and not just totally disregarding ministry to that individual. And moving on, verse 22, we see again the gravity of the position and that it should not be casually granted. Look at verse 22. The first part of the verse, don't be quick to appoint anyone as an elder. You know, I am the type of individual, I tend to rush things. If you know me well, I'm not the one to stop and read directions. I'll just go right at it. And I I dig into food that way, anything. I'm usually rushing into anything. In fact, I have a bedpost at home that can testify to that. I was rushing about 20-some years ago. I didn't have somebody to hold the end while I was trying to connect it. It fell and cracked, and you can see the crack now that's a testament to me just trying to do things too fast. You know, sometimes we see a person with great gifts, someone who can really lead you, great oratory skills, a great organizer, and we try to immediately confer a call upon that person. First, the church doesn't confer the call. The call is from God. The ordination is just the church acknowledging. We see that. We see evidence of it. We see testament that God has called the person. But Paul is saying here, when it comes to calling someone Do not be quick at doing it. Don't rush into things. It is better to be called mean-spirited and not ordain someone who is not equipped or called to the ministry than it is to actually carry out that calling and have it be a devastating effect later. Can a church make mistakes? Yes, it can. But it should never make the mistake of rushing someone into a position of senior pastor. But then fifth, it's a position that requires its holder to be both spiritually and physically fit. Notice what he says to Timothy here. Second part of verse 22. And don't share in the sins of others. That could be the sins of showing favoritism in that context. Uh, Keep yourself pure. It could be maintaining a pure motive in ministry, or it could be speaking about sexual sin or any type of other sin. As we look at it spiritually, the minister is to be pure. He's not going to be perfect, but he is to be pure before God, pure in his call, pure in his heart. And he's to be physically fit. Verse 23 Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, I'm stepping on my feet spiritually, but I'm stepping on my feet physically too. I need to be in better shape. I do. I'll admit it. Um, Paul is not saying here, drink alcohol. In that context, the wine was like a tonic. And the tonic was helping with his stomach. Now, why was Paul concerned about Timothy's stomach? 
because it affected his ministry. If he were to be sick, he couldn't carry out his ministry. And that's true for all of us as we look at our own lives, whether we're a minister or not, we should take care of our bodies. And, and I'll be honest, as I'm preaching that out, I'm preaching back at me. But the purpose of that, spiritually and physically, is so that the pastor would be fit for service. Is the pastor going to be perfect? No, he isn't. You're going to have pastors let you down spiritually. It may, hopefully not in big things, but you'll say, well, he didn't come through at that, or he didn't do this, or, or he said this to somebody and it wasn't right. There are going to be times that you'll look and you'll see he's not everything, but he is to uphold the position. And part of that is maintaining good spiritual and physical health. The work of the ministry is not a sprint. Pastor Willie can attest to that. It is a marathon, and so the pastor must be fit. But, but lastly, it is a position that is ultimately judged by God. And that is a sobering fact for any minister. It is to be judged by God. Look at verses 24 and 25. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them in judgment. But the sins of others surface later. And other, some is just ready. You can just see it. But then for others, it may be later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Same that is true of sin is true of good works. Some good works are evident, and some they actually surface later. That somebody just disregarded or thought was bad, but actually looked back later and said, that's a good thing. Now, these last two verses, as we look at them, I think in part they go back to the two major subjects that we've already looked at in verses 20 and 21 regarding disciplining the minister. There's some things that are very evident, some that aren't. There's some things that may be quick to see, others that may not. And what it's saying is maybe these things aren't easily uh, considered, and so you must take time and discern and be sure. Same thing with the call to minister. Some people, you may see these good works that flare up, and some you may not see as much. Some you may not realize shortcomings as quickly as others, and so we see how important it is to go through a process in going through all of this. But ultimately, it's God who judges. Every one of us will stand accountable to God, whether we are clergy or lay people. As Pastor Willie said, there's a separation. There's a separation from the chaff and the wheat. There's a time God himself can judge, but he himself knows everything clearly. I'm reminded of what I read. A man named Fred Stoker wrote this past week. He said to pastors, you minister before an audience of one. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. When it all comes down, am I serving God with a pure motive, with a pure heart, and to the best of my ability, seeking to maintain integrity, not for my own personal benefit, but for the sake of the position, for the glory of God. A couple weeks ago, I noted something, and you probably caught it. No pastor is indispensable. If I were to 
die this week, I promise you somebody will be here. It may be Brian, may be Kemper, it could be anybody, Eric. Somebody will be standing here next Sunday. What is that saying? It's not about the person. What we're looking here is the position. The position is greater than the person. And so Paul helps us to understand no person is above the office. That's why the office is to be respected. And the person, if he is worthy of that, in, in that position is to be respected. But also why any charge against a minister must be corroborated. In other words, not just one person that has an agenda, but actually investigating the church. But, but it also is such an important position that when the accusation, if an accusation is brought against a pastor, it's not to be railroaded through or kept to a small group and kept secret, but the facts being found and brought before the whole church for the church to decide. It's such an important position that the church would never rush in, in haste to try to get someone to fill that position. It requires spiritual and physical discipline. God himself and the heavenly host deserve it. You know, as I studied this week, and I close with this, we need this book of First Timothy in the church. It helps us to understand the structure of the church, how the church. I don't know how long I'll be pastor here. I would love to be pastor here 30 more years. Uh, I don't know if I live that long. But there comes a time when the lay leadership must go to this book and decide what type of leadership, what decisions, God, do we make. We don't just make those decisions like the world. We study God's word and we understand what it says about the position. We understand what the importance of it and how Paul is instructing Timothy to instruct Ephesus to handle it. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I humbly stand before you. I do not have everything together. Lord, I am not a perfect person. You and my wife know that. Father, you have called individuals into the position of senior pastor, what we might call elder, overseer. And Lord, may this church and may all churches not make the mistake of trivializing this important position. Father, for those like I who hold this position, I pray that we would take very seriously this trust. That Lord, we would seek to operate with a pure heart, a pure mind. That Lord, we would keep our eyes on you, realizing the position is greater than the person. And I pray this in Jesus' name.